So in the 1991 comedy called What About Bob? Bill Murray plays Bob, who is a phobic, neurotic, oppressive, compulsive personality with unquenchable neediness. So, so Bob is this, this guy that, that has immense problems and always needs something. And so Pastor John Ortberg, who is also an author, says that in reality, our souls, our souls are Bob. And so he goes on to say this, and we have a quote for you. It says this, that the soul is a little like the king of a chessboard. The king is the most limited of chess pieces. It can only move one square at a time, but if you lose the, ga- the king, the game is over. Your soul is vulnerable because it's, it is needy, and if you meet those needs with the wrong things, game over, or at least game not going well. So that is exactly what Paul the Apostle in the first century is addressing as he writes to his protege, who he has sent to Ephesus. He sent Timothy to Ephesus to help put the church in order in this city where a church has been established because Paul spent three of his own years personally mentoring them, establishing this really solid foundation. In fact, it was so solid that that church was responsible for planting other churches in the region. Except at this moment, it seems as if they are migrating away from that solid foundation, that healthy living. And so among the things he commands, he does this. He commands this, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So now at this point, you sit back and you go, well, that doesn't mean me because I'm not rich. Scott, are you rich? No, he just got married. He's not rich. (laughs) He won't be for a while. (laughs) So who's rich? Something about who's rich. So I think, okay, Warren Buffett, I think he's rich. Uh, There's a guy running for president. What's his name? (laughs) Donald Trump is rich and you're fired. Taylor Swift, probably rich. Nick Scott. Nick Scott, rich, hotels, and anybody who can start an IHOP, he's got to be rich. My dentist, I think he's rich. I know he's rich. Anybody who drives a Range Rover, I think they're rich. Anybody who lives on Lakeshore Drive, I think they're rich. I had a guy call me when I first came to this church about 20 years ago. He thinks I'm rich because he called and he said, I want to talk to the, the pastor. And he said, he said, you know, he started talking to me about the things he didn't like about me and the church. And he said, and he said, you know, you're just, you're just in it for the money. He, and he said, he said, I see those, because we were on TV at the time. He said, I see those $1,000 suits you're wearing. Well, I said, sir, that, that was a $200 at Macy's. I'm, I'm telling you. He said, well, I don't care because you're rich. So he thinks I'm rich. So, so how much do you have to make to be rich? And so Gallup Poll uh, published their, their results about four years ago. It said that most Americans say that, that to be rich, you need to earn about $150,000 a year. Then you're rich. About 30% of those people that were interviewed said really that, that 100000 would do. So I'll use 100000 And about 18% of those who said that actually said, well, we, we really think 60000 would work. And then about 15% said, well, one million 
if, if, if I have one million, then, then I'm rich. So, so turn to the person next to you and tell them what you think you would have to have to be, to be classified as rich. Just tell them. What do you think? So how much do we need to be rich? I have the answer. I know the exact answer. You ready? Here it is. Go ahead, guys. Show it. More than we currently have. That's what I need to be rich. More than I currently have. So, so when Pam and I got married, we, we had an apartment on campus, and we were paying $90 a month for our apartment. And we had to do that in installments. I thought, boy, if I could just make, if I could just make something better than this, and then immediately, about a couple months later, I got a job, and I was making about $17,000 annually. I thought, this is great. I'm rich. And then I realized I wasn't. And then I thought, if I could make $35,000, then, then I've got it set. And then after that, it was, and if I could have a house like that, and if I could have a house with a pool like our friends have, then I'm rich. If I could get rid of this, this 67 Galaxy 500 that's falling apart and get the Audi my friend is driving, now I'd be rich. If I could have two cars, I could be rich. And that's the problem with wealth. Wealth creates disorientation. That's why Paul says to, to Timothy, tell those people there, those that, that are wealthy, he says, command them. That word command actually means to get close as a messenger right in their face and say, here's the deal. Command the rich. And the word actually means to have an abundance. It means to have more than you actually need. So I know nobody in this room is rich, right? Because we're not rich here. Let me tell you what the rich do, because it's just amazing to me what rich people do. I know rich people who, who go into their kitchen and they have countertops and they have cupboards and they have appliances and they rip them all out. And you know what they put there? Countertops, cabinets, and appliances. That's what rich people do. I know rich people who drive a perfectly good car onto a car lot and then they leave the car there with a bunch of their cash and drive off with the same kind of car. Because rich people can do that. I know rich people who will stand in line for hours and text on their iPhone, and what they'll text is, hey, dude, I'm in line getting an iPhone. Because they're rich. I know people who, who had, a, had a TV, and they, they've got like seven or eight channels, and then they actually get their own satellite. And they get like 250 channels, 500 channels. 750 channels, and they only watch like 10% of those channels, but it's good to have them there, right? That's what rich people do. Why do rich people want more? Hans Halter Wolf wrote a study on the Old Testament writers who understood our personalities and, and our personhood. And they said, well, first of all, we've got this thing called flesh. It's our bodies. It's, it's our energy. It's our strength. It's, it's our mortality. It's our limitations. Then we have this thing called our spirit. Our, our spirit is our breath. It's actually the word. It's our will. It's our inspiration. It's how we connect to the divine. 
And then we have what we call the soul. And it's interesting how he describes a soul. The soul is described as the needy man. It's Bob. Do not see patients on vacation ever. How many ways can I make that clear? Now, what I'd like you to do is to get on this bus and go back to New York. I can't. I'm totally paralyzed. I'm all locked up. You got yourself here. Barely. Now, getting back will be therapeutic. But can't we just have a little talk? Bob, you are testing my patience. Come on. I've come so far. Bob. I'm baby stepping. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm baby stepping. I'm not a slacker. Check it out. Look at I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please. Bob. Please. Bob. Give me. Give me. Give me. I need. I Bob. need. Bob. I need. I need. Give me. Give me. Please. That's Bob. Ortberg says that's, that's inside of us. See, we are limited in most every way. We are limited in our intelligence. We are limited in our strength. We're lim limited in our energy. But there's only one place that we're not limited. We have, for some reason, unlimited desires. So fat, last week, if you're here, I confess to you that I have this obsession over luggage. I love luggage. If we go to a store, I go looking for luggage. And Pam goes, no, 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 you can't have that. But I need, 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 I need luggage. Well, you've got plenty of luggage, but what if, what if, what, what if, what, what if they change the, the measurements to get the carry-on? What, what if? I'm needy. So just so that I don't feel so bad, what is it that you're obsessed over? What is it that if, if you could just go get more of it, you would go get it even though you don't need it? Tell the person next to you, what would that be? Some of you won't tell the person, will you? All right, so, so why do we have these unlimited desires? I appreciate the words of John Orberg who says this, the truth is the soul's infinite capacity to desire is the mere image of God's infinite capacity to give. Now, did you catch that? The reason we desire so much is because God wants to give so much. What if the real reason we feel like we're never going to, we never have enough is that God has not yet finished giving? The unlimited neediness of the soul matches the unlimited grace of God. And I go, see, now that's why I need suitcases. <laughs> but finish the quote. Our need was meant to point us to God. So it's not my neediness that's the problem. My problem is my fallenness. The fallenness that's broken inside of us, the thing that's broken inside, is that there's this desire to gain something. There's a something that I have to go after. And, and I interpret it as needing some more stuff. And so I end up picking up things that have temporary satisfaction, things that are substitutionary. And Mick Jagger was right. I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> but I try, and I try, and I try, and then I stick my tongue out. God has a word for that in us. Anything we desire that distances us from God is called idolatry. Idolatry is a competing desire 
to have a higher priority than God or God's will for us. So it could be the hours you watch ESPN. It could be your bridge club. It could be your kids' soccer camps. It could be the home shopping network. It could be your workaholism. But they're those things that we put higher than God. And that anything that keeps God from being front of center in our sight and in our thoughts is an idol, which is destructive to us because it's what the soul is craving, which we have misinterpreted as wanting more things. Because every time I want more, the soul is saying, no, that's not where I want you to go. Where you need to go is toward God. Because my soul wants God, my soul will never be satisfied with the things that are not God or have God in the middle of them. I'm not saying to you this morning that you can't have stuff, but God better be in the middle of the stuff if you want to be satisfied. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 84 too, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. My soul, that word is, my soul is greedy. My soul is greedy to get to God and I will exhaust myself to get there. So how can I be rich and not make it an idol? In fact, you say, well, I'm not rich. Well, let's practice you being rich from this point on. Let's just practice that happening. So that right now, everything we have right now must point us to God, not away from him. Everything I have must point me to him. And Paul says, let me show you some practical ways how that should happen. And so he says this, that we must work hard to be humble when we're blessed, when we have gained. So I love the true story of the guy years ago who's running for a U.S. Senate office in the Midwest. And he's at, a, he's at a, a, a political rally gathering of, of his party, and, and he's the bigwig that's going to be there, and it's, it's, they're doing a barbecue, they're barbecuing chickens, and so, so he gets in line with all the common people, and he's just showing that he's just like them, and he's standing in line waiting, and he gets up to where the chicken's being distributed, and this lady takes a, a chicken breast that's been barbecued, puts it on a plate, and hands it to him, and he says, well, thank you. He says, could I have another? She said, no. He said, do you know who I am? She says, I know exactly who you are. And she says, you are, and you're running for U.S. senator. He said, well, yes. So then can I have another? She said, do you know who I am? He said, no, who are you? She said, I'm the lady in charge of the barbecue chicken. You're not getting anymore, now get moving. (laughs) See, here's the temptation. The more we make, the less we do. Now, I'm not saying you don't work hard, but the more we make... Now we've got to have somebody that's going to mow our yard. Then then somebody's going to wash my car. I don't have time, so I'm going to head down to Delta Sonic. And I don't have time for the meal, so I'm going to have to stop at a restaurant and eat. So I get someone else to to do that, to clean my house. And suddenly I've got these people, because I have so much, I've got these people who are serving me. And there is this incredible tendency and temptation for us when we have people serving us to begin to talk down to them. Proverbs says this, the poor use entreaties, they entreat, but the rich answer roughly. Because with having much, we become entitled. And that word means exactly what it sounds, entitled. That I'm now in a title because what I make, which placed me in a higher stratosphere of value. Paul called it being arrogant. Don't be arrogant. The word actually means to be high-minded. You can be rich, but you can't be high-minded. 
Jesus was rich and he was entitled. He was in a title. And what did Jesus do? He dropped his title and quit living in it. For Paul would tell the church in Philippi these words, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He lets go of the title. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. As a follower of Jesus, we can be rich, but we cannot live in the title. As a follower of Jesus, we can be rich, but we can only live in a servant title. I want to show you a picture of a guy named Dawson Trotman. Dawson was the founder of an organization called Navigators, whose very devotion is to have people come into faith in Jesus and to follow him and teach them how to follow Jesus. So he had gone to Taiwan, and he met there with a local pastor to teach them how to help others follow Jesus. And so then they decided to go up into the mountains to meet with some folks who lived up in a village up in the mountains. And so they traipsed up through the mountains. It was very wet, and and mud was caking their shoes. They went up, they did their thing, they came back, and and somebody asked the pastor, they said to him, "What what do you remember most about Dawson Trotman? And to their surprise, without hesitation, he replied, he said, well, he cleaned my shoes. He was surprised to get up the next morning and find that Troutman had been up earlier and had taken time to clean his shoes. This man, who was the man who was important on that trip, was the man who was out serving first. That spirit of servanthood was a clear marker on Troutman's life. In fact, that spirit was on him when he died because what he did is he died drowning as he helped someone else not drown. And one of his great sayings was this, How do you know if you are a servant? By how you react when someone treats you as one. So whether your portfolio contains $10 or $10 million, it does not change the fact that we are servants to all. Even the rich are servants. And serving comes before accumulation. And that's tough because as we talked about it last week, the more we have, the more we want, and the more we have, the less we give. King Solomon, who understood excessive wealth, wrote these words, that the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it is an unscalable wall. So we have this tendency to say, okay, I've got these things, and now I've got to protect them. And so, as the rich would do, they build this wall to protect everything. So how much do we need to protect our estate? How much do we need to protect our retirement? How much do we need to protect our family, our, our children, our grandkids? How much do we need to do so? To, to take care of every future imaginable eventuality so that we are fearless saying there's nothing that can happen to me now I'm covered so how much do we need so that nothing can touch us more than we currently have so watch what we do when we're trying to protect ourselves and something comes our way that we need to help build up our wall we take it and we close up our grip And we hold it tight. And even if someone around us needs it, we say, I can't give that to you because I need it for the security of my family and for the security of my future. And we do not let it go. So it was Thanksgiving several years back. My father was still alive and we had gone down to visit my mom and my dad in Springfield, Missouri. And it was Thanksgiving Day. And my mom said, Jack, 
we're getting ready for the feast and, and we realized we don't have enough milk. Can you just go down to the local convenience store and, and get some milk? I said, sure. So I ran down quickly to the store and, and ran over to the cooler, grabbed a gallon of milk, came back out and came to the counter and someone was in front of me and they were, they were dealing with them and I was here and there was a lady standing. I could just see her out of my peripheral vision. So I turned around and say hi. And I, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't try to stereotype people, but it was obvious to me that she deals with poverty the way she was dressed and how she looked, I just said, this woman's dealing with poverty. And so this person left and, and I put the, the milk carton down and a gallon of milk and, and, and the guy said, it's this amount of money. And then I couldn't remember where I put my wallet. So I'm starting to look. To her, it must look like I don't have money. So she steps up and she says, sir, could I get this for you? I have plenty of food stamps. She had no qualms about leaving her hand open with generosity, although I know, I know she didn't have much. But her hand was open. Because what we generally find is that those who walk in poverty do not walk with a closed hand on what they have because they know they'll never have enough to keep them secure, so they've got to find the security someplace else. So I have a friend this morning who's leading a worship service or an entire service and his, his church deals with people who are in extreme poverty. And one of the things he tells me he does, he says, we make sure that we really worship hard because I want them to see Jesus in front of their fears. Because it, it allows them then to realize that it's not, it's, it's not their portfolio that will keep them safe. It's the Prince of Peace that will keep them safe. Pam and I have been with people who, who have money, who have affluence, and we can be with them and a group of people. And these people that, that, that I'm talking about that I know have, have a lot of things, and they could not only, not only be able to pay for everybody's food, they could pay for the entire restaurant's food. And when the check comes, do you know what they do? They pull out a calculator. And they figure out what every single person owes. We've watched people like that where Pam and I, we believe in, in tipping people well. We think it's just part of the grace that, that we, should, we should give to people. And so we tip well. And so we, we'll take money. And, and this really happened. We put it on the table. We walked out, looked at the corner of my eye, heard the guy say, well, that's way too much. Pick it up, take half of it, and put it in his pocket. Because he thinks he needs it. Pastor Andy Stanley reminds his people every year that being rich can create a migration. Do you know that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell? And the reason for that is this, that riches are the chief competitor with God for our heart. We have misinterpreted what the soul is desiring. We think it's this stuff. We got to have this. But in reality, it's saying, no, 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 no. You need to put your hope in God. Solomon, who was the wealthiest person ever and the wisest person ever, centered down on this prayer for his life. Proverbs 30, verse 8. First, help me never to tell a lie, and second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs, for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. And, and I find myself, I say, God, please don't let me be poor because I don't want to be caught in, in having to steal stuff. And you, so don't let me be poor. 
But when it comes to the other one, I, I have trouble saying, and, and, and don't make me, don't, don't give me more than I need. Don't give me an abundance. Don't give me that. I, I want to say, oh God, you can trust me. Just give me more. Just give me more. I can do this. Solomon realizes that the only thing that satisfies us is whatever, or satisfies, is whatever moves me closer to God. And Paul agrees. He says, tell them not to put their hope in that, but put their hope in God. I have a friend, he and his wife were flying over the Atlantic Ocean, coming back from Europe, and then the captain came on the intercom and said, we're having mechanical issues, and we're going to have to divert and make an emergency landing in Iceland. We're going to be continuing to lose uh, altitude, but we think we can get there. But just in case, we're going to have you all plan for a water landing. Would that not freak you out? It freaked me out. But I can tell you what Steve and Jan didn't do. They didn't sit there going, okay, so how much do we have in our, in our retirement account? What, what about our, do you think we need to buy another house? No, those folks are praying. And the same God that they pray to every day, give me today my daily bread, is the God they said, can you make this plane land safely? Because their hope has always been in God. So if our hope is in God at the end, why not let our hope be in God right here in the middle? If we have no control of how the end comes, what makes us think we have control of how the middle is going right now? And if our soul is Bob, uh, the earlier clip that you didn't get to see, Richard Dreyfus, who plays his counselor, asks him this question. He says to him, what is the crisis and what is it you are truly afraid of? And that's the question we've got to ask. Why do I think I need more? What is it about life that I think I need to have more? Is God hiding the good stuff from me? See, Paul didn't say that being rich is bad. He's just saying it's wrong to be bad at being rich. So go ahead, be rich. Do it. Let God prosper you. Use the, use the wisdom of the scriptures. Use the wisdom of not being in debt. Use the wisdom of making good investments. You, do that. Proverbs is so full of those, those, those wise words. Do that. But listen to Paul. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy everything when he's in the middle of it. So our hope is not in riches, but our hope is in the one who richly provides. So the question we've got to ask ourselves, and I've got to keep asking myself, is this, has our hope, has my hope migrated? Has it, has it moved off of, of God being my central focus? Because I, you know, I get this stuff all the time. Uh, it comes on, it comes on in, into my email, and it's, it's Macy's having a sale, and, 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 and Johnson and & Murphy's having a sale, and so, and so on, and you can, now's the chance, and, and I, Best Buy's having a sale, this is the, and I pop on that stuff, and I'm thinking, oh, why not? Why not? Why can't I have that? Why, that's, that's, that looks good. Why don't, what? And I gotta deal with that. What, what is it that I'm wanting that I need to have that? So how can we tell if our hope is migrating? Let me ask you some questions. Are you finding yourself ungrateful? 
that you don't take enough time to say thank you for the car I do have, thank you for the house I do have, thank you that I have a meal today, thank you for, for the fact that, that, that I have these folks that are my friends, thank you for, and do you take enough time to thank him for the stuff you've got right now? Because if you read in the Old Testament, many times when Israel turned its back on God, God said the reason behind all this is you were ungrateful. You never said thank you for what you got and recognize what I gave you. So, so are you ungrateful? Do you feel entitled? And that comes across with, with, hey, I deserve this. I should have that. They got that. I should have that. They got a trip to there. I should have a trip to there. Are you mad at God or other people because life is not the way that you thought it should be? It's not the way you think you deserve? Do you find yourself daydreaming? You're driving down the highway and you see the mega whatever it is, lotto, and now it's $150 million, and after taxes, you say, I could, like, man, I could have $75 million. God, you know what I could do for you with $75 million? Right after I buy my house, my car, and my boat? You know what I could do with that? And God, I think, is saying, what could you do for me I can't do for myself? So you find yourself daydreaming, what if, what if, what if I had that better job, what if I had that more money, what if, what if I just made 10 grand more? If only I had this. You know, we can migrate, we really can, we can migrate away from God, we can get pulled away because of our finances, and I've watched it happen to people who, who God has, has blessed, and suddenly the focus is on what God has given instead of the one who gave it, and I've watched them pull away. And, 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 and God is so graceful that if you migrate away and suddenly you yell, God, I'm dying, come, come save me. He's so graceful, he'll do it. So it's, 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 it's not a matter of if you, if you migrate, he's never going to let you back. So you go, oh, I can bet on that. But here's the question. And maybe the statement to start out with first is, what about now? We can't live today over again. Why do we want to miss all the enjoyment that God has planned for us to enjoy with him in the middle of it when you're in your 20s or when you're in your 30s or when you're in your 40s or when your kids are young or when they're in high school or when, when they're moving off to college or when you've got grandkids or when you're in retirement? Why do you want to miss him in there? Because he's got so much he wants to, to have you enjoy. Why would you want to miss that by migrating away and going on your own? So how do I know whether or not my hope is in God? Well, we talked about it last week. There, there's this, this, this thing about hope in God that loosens up our grip on our stuff. And if we find ourselves being generous, it's a pretty good sign that, that we're moving towards hope in God and not the other direction. And that's why Paul then continues with this verse, which we talked about last week. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So I gave you an assignment last week. It's a practicality of working this out so that we hope in God. And the first step was this. Look for opportunities to be generous. So Pam and I looked for opportunities to be generous. And this week, I mean, I'll just tell you what we did. One of the things that happened this week is we were sitting at, I know you won't believe this, but we were in a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> and three servicemen walked in and sat down. We said, 
to our waiter, can you get us their check? And we were able to go up to them afterwards and say, we want to just thank you for your service to this country and what you sacrificed. This one's not us. Thank you for what you do. You say, well, you don't even know if they're in poverty. No, but we, we felt like God said, go do that. And so we gave out of our account toward them. It's a small thing, but I'm asking you to look this week for people around you or issues or, or places that need your generosity. This week, be ready to share from what you have. And secondly, probably, because, because that's spontaneous, and, and there's got to be a foundational shift in how we view life, and so I'm going to ask you to do this, because we talked about the fact that when we get more, we give less. And we talked about the fact that Jesus with his disciples are sitting there watching the offering being taken in the temple, and all these rich guys are giving their money, and this little widow lady shows up with two small coins, and Jesus said, she gave more. Uh, how can that be? Because she gave a greater percentage. And he's saying, you need to give a percentage. And so my encouragement to you is to do as Pam and I are doing, to go right to your budget. If you don't have a budget, then you're never going to get rich. So get a budget. And on that budget, put down a percentage. Say, I'm going to give this much. And you do that immediately. Just say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to live off the rest. And so we start with, we, it's our deal, we start with 10% because we believe that that is a biblical, a biblical pattern that brings prosperity to take a tithe as, as was seen before the law and enacted during the law. And Jesus affirmed after the law and said, do this 10%. And that goes to this community of faith to take care of you all. We do that. But then we go back in and we, and we take more percentage and say, but then we want to give to this person and this thing and this ministry and that thing and put some on the side here. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same. To sit down with your budget and say, and you say, I don't have much. Well, start with what you got. You say, I'm not rich. Well, sometimes, sometimes I say, are you, are you wealthy? Are you rich? And people say to me, well, you know, we don't have anything left at the end of, end of the month. And I, but I, I think it's discretionary funds because, you know, you can eat at a $25 restaurant or a $12 restaurant. You get to choose. You can drive a, a $70,000 car. Or you can drive a $7,000 car. You choose. And so the question is, what's best for you in the kingdom of God? You choose how to use that money. But God said, I want you to be generous with it so that you can bless others. In doing so, I will multiply you the ability then to give more to others because that's how God's economy works. So I think the time has come that, that, that we've got to ask the question, so what about Bob? And I think it's time to direct Bob, his fears and his unending desires. Because right now we are richer than we think. And our generosity prepares us for what God has planned for further enjoyments in the days that are ahead and even today. So let's be good at being rich. Can we do that? Because God takes great joy in that. He takes great joy in prospering us because he wants us to find him right in the middle of it. And next time you find yourself wanting something, I dare you, I just dare you to ask the question. Okay, what about Bob? What's he saying? Would you stand, please? So, did that hurt? You're all just frowning this morning. What's the deal with that? It's like I crawled in your wallet and took your money. Bottom line is God wants to prosper us. 
And he wants us to prosper the people around us. And so let's be generous so that, because my goal is this, that when people think, because years ago, when you asked people what they thought of your first assembly, they would tell you, they're the rich people on the hill. Can we change that? So they'll say, because first of all, I know that's not true. But can we get them to say, oh, they're the generous people on the hill. And see what God does with that, because we learned last week, and if you, didn't, you weren't here last week, get the podcast. We learned that generosity is what helped bring down the Roman Empire. So check it out. So now to the king eternally mortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.